0: Hi how are you doing?
1: Hey, not too bad, so how are
0: you? Yeah, not bad, no bad. Um, hi everyone, um, my name Asad, Asadullah Khan. I'm um, a doctor, I work in the NHS and I've got uh, my dear friend, Mustafa with me um, for the first episode of the IMG UK podcast. The name is a work in progress, but um, I'm sure we'll be able to come up with something better than that. Um, I'd just like to start by introducing um, Mustafa. Mustafa is a gastroenterology trainee, um, ST4? ST5. ST5, ST5 oh, almost there. Uh, he's also, he also dabbles in clinical informatics and he's had various leadership roles, such as trainee rep for the Northwest, Mersey, and the BSU rep for the Northwest. And, um, and apart from that, uh, he's a very good friend of mine. We've had lots of adventures together, uh, yeah. most of which we probably cannot share on this forum. Um <laughs> but, it's very, yeah.
1: scandal, like I've never
0: done anything wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've been the one who's been doing everything wrong, it's, it's not him. Um so I I'd like to start by um Muji, I know I, I know I'm talking a lot, but I, I'd just like to start by introducing the podcast and then I'll let you talk. Um I had this idea um, a couple of months ago about Chronicling the stories of immigrants to the, to the UK, I was sitting um, one day and wondering why there aren't enough um, there aren't enough um, resources online for someone who is thinking about moving to the UK, uh, sp- specifically as as a, as a medic as a doctor, um, and I and I couldn't couldn't find anything to be honest. Um, I feel like it would make a huge difference. It would have made a huge difference to me if I uh, was able to see something like this when I was thinking about moving countries. Yeah. Um, as with all immigrants, uh, my heart marches to the beat of two very different drums, one from the homeland and one from the place where I've decided to make a home. And we're gonna be talking a little bit more about that. Which I'll, I'll let you talk.
1: Yeah, i think i'm going to just um, comment on your brilliant idea so i think when i started when we came in i think it was 2016 or possibly 2017 for you um we didn't have access to the same information that a lot of people have i think i want to start this by crediting people like omar and um, abdullah who have this excellent img forum with over 100,000 um, members and they go out of their way to help people but i think what that misses out on is the actual experience, which is something you want to capture, which is how we got there, how scared we were when we started, um, how we've amassed lots of titles, which we're still quite scared of a lot of things that we don't have answers to. And this is just, I guess, a version where we tell people that we're, we were exactly the same as you when you started. Um, we have the same fears. We've had the same good and bad experiences. Um, and hopefully our stories can help you make, decide whether you want to come to this country or after listening to mine and my story, probably not come to this country. But um, I guess, uh, let's see. This should be a fun thing. Um, it's a fun thing. Hopefully fun for you to watch on a weekend.
0: Yeah. And <clears throat> or, or on a commute if you're, if you're going to work. And I completely agree with Muji, as he said. <laughs> I completely agree with him, as he said. Um, stories have a lot of power. And they can actually shape someone's life. So, um, so let's go. Here, here we go. Let's let's start. Um, so, the way this is gonna go is that I have a standardized set of questions which I'm going to ask Mudge, um, uh, and then we will we'll talk more about both of both of um, our experiences based on those questions. Um, so, um, but before that, because this is a podcast which focuses on the people and the stories behind the people, the journeys that they've taken. Um, I'd like to start by saying that um, we are both from the lovely, lovely city of Lahore, um, which I, I, I miss Lahore very, very much. Um, it's very close to my heart. I have a lot of memories growing up in Lahore, as I'm sure as I'm sure you do.
1: So yeah, so when I look through the questions that Asit sent me about 15 minutes ago, so you clearly gave me a lot of time to prepare for this. I think this was the, his first question We've would, been would talk about Lahore and how much you miss it. And I just thought this was the hardest question for me to answer because I don't remember Lahore. I think the problem with that is, or I guess as you grow older and you have lived somewhere for a good two-thirds of your life and then you move again, you just remember the very romanticised version of what that city was. When I was a kid in Lahore some 20 years ago, it was a beautiful city. Um, I stayed there for about 25, 26 years before I moved. Um, And the streets, all of my friends, I was schooled there, my family, everybody's still there. And every time I go back, I go back with the same sense of belonging. But when I get there, I just don't recognize the city anymore. And I think that's the tragedy when you live in two places, you don't really belong anywhere. But um, Lahore is a wonderful city. I try to market it a lot to all of my... Um, colleagues at work and I try to convince them to come to my wedding but unfortunately I've convinced five different batches of people but I still haven't gotten married so <laughs> I 100 people who could potentially attend my wedding in Pakistan which is never going to happen.
0: And and but, you may you may think that that is a problem waiting to happen but trust me if you've ever been to a Pakistani Indian Desi wedding that is not a lot of people that is not a lot of people at all.
1: You probably like 150 people you're like this guy probably wasn't popular at all. Um, A- amateur
0: numbers, amateur numbers. Yeah, really <laughs>
1: amateur numbers. But yeah, so I, miss, I miss my city definitely every day. But when I go there, I kind of miss Manchester. So I'm not sure.
0: And, and that's the thing. It's, uh, um, you know, Moji said, is it's as if your heart doesn't belong anywhere. But I, I would actually argue it's as, as if your heart belongs in two places at once. So you know, there's a piece of you in, in, in both
1: Three places for you. Just don't forget Iram. Otherwise, we'll both get into a lot of <laughs> Um Right. I'm going to kick it off.
0: Uh, so the first question is, what what prompted this move for you? Why did you decide to move?
1: So again, I think for me personally, this was, um, I just felt that when I went to my foundation equivalent job in Pakistan, I just felt that I peaked really quickly and I felt that if I was to continue my education there. This is not a jive with the training system in Pakistan, to each their own. I think they produce some excellent doctors that are very, very skilled. I just feel for me, I was a little more academically inclined and I just felt a bit strange that nothing was done in a certain manner. For example, if you work in the NHS for a while now, you realize that um, we're primarily guided by guidelines and everything in every hospital is sort of standardized. I there is the caveat that guidelines are for H2 idiot-proof assistance, so it's not always applicable, your to, to judgment from everything. But at least if you and I were to go to a hospital, in all likelihood with an MI, we'd be treated the same. If you walk into a hospital in Pakistan, sometimes it's spot, like it's potluck. And that, that, for me, just made me want to go somewhere where I get a certain standardized form of education and then hopefully come back and make things better. So for me that was one consideration um a question a lot of people ask and we've kind of asked ourselves a few times as well why did we come to the uk and not go to america for me um i had very personal reasons for coming here um which i will not disclose in this podcast um but those are probably like the biggest questions that imgs have i don't think between you and i we can answer them because we'll just give one side of the picture but for me it was getting one standardized form of education, be the research opportunities that you can get coming here. And three, just, um, just on a side note, my dad's a gastroenterologist as well, and I wanted to leave simply because I didn't want to be like live in a shadow for my career. I wanted to make something of myself, and quite strictly I did not want to become a gastroenterologist just because I would be a professor whatever son. And I wanted to be something myself. Lo and behold, I have a gastroenterology registrar in the UK. So I kind of like it just it's funny sometimes what life does to you. But um, yeah, those are my reasons, I guess. <laughs> um
0: I think I think that's brilliantly put. Um my reasons are probably not as detailed as yours. I just followed you. I knew you were coming here, so I just followed you. <laughs> um <clears throat> So, Samoji, look, one of the things that we've frequently talked about, um, you know, more specifically in Manchester, um, when we're just having fun. Um, the first few days, the first few weeks are very, very difficult. And I've actually noticed this once, you know, when I've been speaking to my colleagues who've um, only interacted with, with people like me who've been here for a long time and, and are, are in, you know, are are used to the way things work here, but when people are new to the system, um, I'll tell you what I felt. I, um, for the purposes of this podcast, Irem is my wife, I'm going to be referen- referencing her a lot. Um, uh, and, and it's- 20 times, right,
1: in 20 minutes, that was the cutoff, agreed cutoff.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so I remember telling Irim multiple times when I when I was here. I think I started off with a very, very difficult job, vascular surgery, very hardcore, 13 hours of theatre. Um, it was good. It had its had its high points, but it was very very difficult job to start off with. Um, but I remember saying to her, I I said, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. I said this to her for the first month. And then I was, things started to calm down, and things changed. If you were to meet me now, yeah, I am
1: way, like, can you go back? Because they, I just wanted to clear, like, <laughs> clear.
0: um If you if you met me now, I would I would not strike you as the person who would ever say that. Um, just because yeah. I, I love working here, and I just love my life here. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I'm sure you felt something like that. So my second question was actually in the same vein of thought: How? how was it landing at the airport how was your first day your first week your first month
1: so i think this is a very important question because i think when you've been in a country for five years you have a leadership role or you're a trainee or whatever everybody assumes that it must have been really easy for you or you must have landed in like some jelly and glided your way through your career but i think what most IMGs experience is quite similar. So my first um, landing story in this country is actually quite funny because <laughs> when I landed, so I was quite lucky where my flight got a bit delayed and I ended up traveling with a friend who had lived in the UK for most of his life. So he was in business class because he's posh like that. And I was flying economy, but the flight was empty. So he just came and he chilled with me for the length of the flight. Um, we got off at the airport together and I was like, this is good I have a friend. This is my first like proper immigration check. He'll be with me. He had a British passport and like a priority thing. He just was like, "Bye, I'll see you like in a year or so. I was like, uh. so I got like through the immigration queue. I got to the first counter and I felt like I had everything in order. So I gave the immigration lady my notes and she was like, where's document XYZ? And I got genuinely like confused. I was not myself for like 20 seconds. So I freaked out and I started pulling out random pieces of paper and she was like, you know, I could deport you for this. And this was like my first interaction with like the immigration officer. And I was just standing there. And obviously at that time I was freaking out. So anyway, I got the documents. She was quite hurt. She, we got, I got through immigration. I didn't get deported then. There is still hope for for me yet. Um, I have a couple of months to my ILR. So I, you can still get me deported if you want to. But I remember sitting in the car and my uncle came to pick me up. He's an exceptional human being. And I remember feeling just really sad because I went from being Dr. Sahab, like somebody who's, I don't know, a godsend in my own country, so much respect to standing in an immigration counter being talked down to by an immigration officer being told that I could get deported after I'd put in so much investment, physical, economical, academic, into just getting there, I felt horrible. Um, That I think was my first, first, um, day so it wasn't a beautiful start like you'd expect I think after that because I ended up going to Grimsby and whenever I told an immigration officer I was going to Grimsby they were like yeah buddy you served your sentence so it's fine so it was like a good easy pass through um, but I think I think what helped me stay in this country or adapt to the system best was my first experience in Grimsby because I remember I did like 10 days in stroke medicine before I moved on to another rotation and I was clueless as to what I had to do. Like, I couldn't put a to Canada in to save my life. There was an F2 with me, Sophie. F1 with me, Sophie, and I was her F2. But, like, she'd go around teaching me how to do things. But the way I got by was that I just made friends really easily. So my first and closest friends at the time were all the nurses in the stroke ward. And they were insanely funny people. Like, they were professionally excellent. But equally, if you, like, caught them behind a door, they would just make you laugh that you dropped. And I think those are the people that made me survive. Otherwise, I didn't know anything. I was on call on my first day, uh, first actual day of my job, I was holding a belief and praying that it just wouldn't go off. Um, but I think those friendships right at the beginning um, just just made me sail through. And if there was one thing I would recommend like anybody who's moving into a new system to do is to not isolate themselves. Because I think sometimes when we come into a system and we feel that other people need to accept us, it's not, the onus is not entirely or only on them. It's also on us to not seclude ourselves. It's important to go to your own people, but it's equally important to make everybody else feel that they can be open with you. So I'll give you like a very recent example. I just started a new job in a week ago. And in my on my first day, I made it a point to go to the endoscopy department, to the secretaries, to the ward, just to say hello to everyone, to make fake promises about donuts that I'll never bring. Um and just like just to give everyone my number, be like, look, if you need anything, I'm around, I'm your new registrar. I've got you. Okay. And that will get me so many free coffees over the year and not in a lot of trouble. So you need to make an effort whenever you start, whenever you start, to be as inclusive of everybody else as you would be of people from your own country. I think that is the one bit of advice that I would give you i'm also rambling so i'm going to stop now
0: i think it's it's hard um it's it's just a matter of <clears throat> wanting to make the effort as, as you mentioned um and I, I i would completely agree i think having a social circle is the biggest thing that's got gotten me through um um well core medical training and then generally work work um i had to a group of very good friends with me. And I have I've been re-watching Scrubs these days. I love Scrubs. I've taken a lot of life lessons from that show. As anyone who knows me knows. Um, and you know, the, the theme song is, you know, I can't do this all on my own. Is is very true because in medicine, as with many other things, many of the specialties, you just cannot do everything on your own. You need people are going to hold your hand when things are difficult and going to help you when when things aren't going the way you planned and trust me things will not go the way you planned um you just, yeah. just have to revise and improvise um thanks Mugi. that's that was, a, that was a good answer um but i've got some more for you um okay. what's, what's been your biggest challenge
1: I think there are a number of challenges. It would be unfair if I said there was just one. Um, I think a lot of people, especially the ones that are in training, will know that jumping from one job to another each year is a, is something that kind of uproots your entire life and then you have to restart again. So that to me is a recurring challenge, one that you need to learn to adopt to. Um, but if you had to ask me about the biggest challenge per se, I think I was once in a situation, and it was an uncomfortable one in a trust where I worked, um, where there was quite systemic bullying and har- harassment, and just a very negative environment. And I had seen this detriment a lot of my colleagues. I'm I'm going to be very honest here and say that It probably didn't affect me as much, because when I landed there, I came with like 100 titles, and I was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. So I kind of like measled my way out of like the, the harassment and became someone important. So I was like, yeah, just don't mess with me. It's fine. But what I witnessed there kind of changed me as a human being. And I saw that it negatively impacted so many human beings that something had to be done about it. Now, it's really easy to say that you're going to change something. But when you take on a system, it takes a huge personal toll on yourself as well, especially as an immigrant doctor. I mean, tomorrow, if something happens, you can just put me on the next flight home. So there are lots of different risks that you need to balance. But I think one thing that I've learned from my dad is I remember this quite frankly, like the advice that he gave me. And I can't stop laughing now because every time he tells me to do the sensible thing and I just do the exact opposite. But this time I remember I was meeting the medical director of the hospital about, about these issues one-on-one and I remember I rang him and he was like he told me that I told you to stay out of trouble but now that you've picked a fight you're going to see it through okay you're not backing out of this but I was like you know what I think I feel a little unwell I think I'm just gonna take a sick day today like no so you pick a fight you see it through and I think that is what I'd suggest to a lot of people you need to be very wise as to what fights to pick but if you commit to something and if you believe that something is wrong and you stand up against it, you have to decide in your mind that you have to fight it till the end then. There is no like, I'll fight this halfway, I'll see how it goes. There's not no house, like I'll see how it goes. When I was, when I picked this fight, I had my um, MRCP part two and my pieces within that month. And then I had my STA applications as well. So it was not like a time where I was just sitting on a sand I was like, Yeah, I'll do this. We'll see how long this fight goes on. It was a crucial time in my life as well. So I think there are some challenges. I think systemically bullying is a problem in the NHS. There's a workforce race equality survey that happens. Um, The latest one came out a few months ago. You can get really good statistics as to what amount of the workforce is black and minority ethnic um, group and what different systemic problems they face with where they're underrepresented, so on and so forth. So it is a recognized problem. It is a problem that each of us has to pay for part in fixing. But I think to me, that was one of the biggest, biggest challenges I've ever faced um, in terms of my career, but I'm still here. Um, and I guess that's, that's a good thing, I guess. The side note, there's also a funny national award that I was um, nominated for. This was the British Muslim of the Year Award. And I was an actual finalist. And the funny story behind this is that when I got an email, I was sitting at work with one of my SHOs um, called Paul. Um, he's Scottish, really funny. And he's like, oh, Paul, look at this. British Muslim of the year right here. He's like, with all due respect, one, you're not British. You're probably the worst Muslim I've ever met. I was like, well, <laughs> they don't know that, so it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, so I got like a nominee. I won an award, actually. I didn't get nominated for it only. But I think it's good to pile up awards, but what's more important is to use them as like, podiums to raise your voice even more if you can. So I think if I was to tell you the one thing that I want to do, and this is the one goal I set out, set for myself every time I start somewhere new is that I try to do one thing that's good for the institution where I work, one thing that is good for me, and one thing that is good for my colleagues. And I, I know we don't have enough time, but I can tell you things for each hospital where I work, But I've done all three of these things. So just have like a very clear goal when you start somewhere new, and always, always go out of your way to help your little ones like the F1s, F2s, because they're going to be your colleagues when they grow up. And they're probably the people who feel the most under the bus. Okay, I would not want to be like a F1 on a board, just not now, not ever again. So just try to help them if you can. I think I uh,
0: would uh, you know, in, in summarizing this as, um, you know, I asked you what your biggest challenge was. And I think it would be that obviously you've, like me, you've moved countries, you've moved, gone from a place where you were in the majority to being clearly in a minority. Um, and you know, you've experienced um, <clears throat> systemic um, racism, bullying, and you decided to stand up against it. So, so the takeaways would be like, be aware of when your rights are being compromised, um, know when to take action. And also if you do decide to take action, see it through it can't be like me challenging the council for a bus lane parking fine because I am not going to win and I did go sad you know <laughs> just the first application into it
1: <laughs> I think that's a very apt summary just the one thing I want mm. to say here because i don't want mm. to discourage anyone it is a problem but not everybody will the vast work.
0: majority of people are
1: nice yeah yeah and a significant significant minority of people are an insignificant minority of people are actually bad. I love most of the people I work with. Every time I leave a job, I'm absolutely heartbroken. I was in endoscopy in Bolton, and leaving there, like, I just was like so sad because every day was like a party. You do your endoscopy, you dance, you have fun, you have loads of cake, and like, I just felt like I was leaving my family when I was moving. So it's not like you can't integrate. It's not like everybody's going to be horrible to you. By no means did I infer that i'm just saying that sometimes unfortunately there may be instances when that does happen and always talk to people try to get support um asad and i are here um asad might drop my email or whatever after this um 100 i will back you whatever happens if you're in the right also know that sometimes you might be in the wrong i've had a couple of people message me telling me that oh they've gotten into a lot of trouble in their hospital and some of the, sometimes on clinical grounds and it's really unfair. And when you talk to them and when you try to address their problems, you realize that in certain instances, that was a fairly valid thing to do. It wasn't something that was happening to them because of race. It was just happening to them because they hadn't approached a problem correctly or a patient correctly. So sometimes you might be a bit discouraged by the feedback you, you might get from Asadurmi me telling you, buddy, like we're behind you 100%, but probably this is something that you did wrong as well. So just be open to taking people's viewpoints if you approach them with your problems. But Asad and I, am, I'm sure we'll remain fairly available until we become really, really popular with this podcast and then like...
0: I think it's very important to, to talk about these things because you and I, we, um, we've talked about this multiple times but this may be helping someone listening to the podcast and um, if it is, um, our job is done. Um, my fourth question is a little bit modified given how the last two years have been. Um so specifically how has the pandemic affected you and how has it impacted you as an as an IMG in the UK?
1: Yeah I think this is a very important question also because I think it it highlights a lot of different coping mechanisms or highlighted for me the different coping mechanisms I had. Um, Because when the pandemic started, like, I think I remember that before, like, there was a lockdown in the UK or before UK embraced this problem, I remember Boris in the beginning was shaking hands with everyone at the press conference trying to underplay um, the issue. I remember I was at an endoscopy um, training course and I told one of the endoscopy nurses in the mirror, I was like, yeah, the world is just going to change completely. And she was like, you stop being like scary. Why, why? There's going to be no apocalypse. You're absolutely wrong. I was like, just give it time. Okay. If anybody can predict misfortune or have misfortune fall on them, that's me. Okay. I'm the misfortune lead for like this country. Okay. So, but she didn't take me seriously. So when COVID happened, I was doing my first like ST3 job um, as a gas quality registrar. And I was taken off um, and I was, I became a COVID registrar for a good six months. So my training was severely impacted. Um, I live in Manchester. I have a really, really good support circle, lots of really great friends. But this is now. Then when I started, I didn't really know anyone in Manchester apart from Simon Osman, who you know as well, were excellent, excellent people. But um, yeah, so it was a very difficult time. I'm not going to lie. I hadn't seen my family for a year. Um, Everybody assumed that yes, we're heroes that clap for us, we'd go to work, we'd come home and well done, right? And, but we just get through it. And at no point did anyone address for how long, because we're human beings. Say the pandemic continued as is for another 10 years, would you expect me and you to just go in every day, get hammered at work, put our lives at risk, come home, and for us to continue like that without seeing our families. So there was no end time on this equation. And for me personally, That is what worried me the most. If you tell me that in a month, you can work straight on-call shares for a month, then a month later, you can go home or you get like a year off or a hundred thousand pounds. Like, fine, a month, I'll I'll get through it, right? But what happens when you don't have an end date?
0: I'll take the hundred thousand pounds.
1: You take the hundred thousand pounds, (laughs) yes. What happens when there isn't an end date? That's That's a very depressing thought and that's very troubling for a lot of people. What makes it worse, especially for IMDs, is that a lot of us will have our countries in the red list. It means we either can't travel because we have limited annual leave, we can't travel because it's financially a very huge cost to bear, Um, or we can't travel because our hospitals aren't willing to accommodate that rotor deficiency that comes as a result of us leaving. Because you can't go home for like three days when you have to quarantine for 11 nights when you come back. Um, so it's a horrible experience, and with families it's worse because you get to pay more. I think the one saving grace of being single was I just had to pay for myself. Uh, I spent like six days, seven days in a hotel bed watching Sopranos. Um, I couldn't do anything else physically because it was just so depressing. I would also like to point out that my I'd given my GASO board exam, and the result was due that week, and I was almost 100% certain I'd feared. So I was even less motivated to get out of bed. Um, I did end up passing, so I kind of got got out of bed for like three days. I ordered lots of takeaway and I was really happy. But it's a horrible and really hard experience. So I think the COVID pandemic has shaped a lot of us in very different ways. I personally think that if you're in a situation where you're finding it difficult, again, ask for help, ask us if you don't want to ask us, there are lots of professional within your hospital as well. There are people you can ask and people who you can trust. I think it's important to find the right time and to ask for help rather than burning out completely. Uh,
0: um, Thanks for that. Um, um, That was really good. Um, I think in terms of just generally talking about how the pandemic has affected everyone. Um, one of the things that um, I thought I would um, try and get you to focus on is uh, tell me about Manchester. Um, what does Manchester mean to you, given that it's your second home now?
1: Yeah, I think, well, second home is a bit debatable now, but yeah, it is home to me. Um, it's a lovely city. I must say, it's really cheap to live in. It's like you'd buy a shoebox for the price of the like two-bed apartment I'm in that overlooks the river. So it's it's really cheap. There's a lot of food, um, halal, bismillah, halal, whatever kind of food that you want, you can you can have it. Um, there's lots to do. There are lots of, um, for example, if you're from Pakistan, there are lots of people that you know from back home that you find around. So it's a wonderful city to live in. I absolutely love it. Um, and that's why like, I commute like 45, 50 minutes a day to get to work but i'm unwilling to move out so it's a good 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 city and it's a good place to work and and by all means i'd encourage anyone who wants to come come to manchester um work with us and we try to help you as much as we can
0: so for the football fans listening do do you you suppose the red half of manchester or the blue half of
1: manchester i am not a football fan but i'm going to show off if i can maybe or not from this angle. Well, anyway, I was meaning to show off. You can see the Manchester United football um, stadium from my window. Maybe you saw like the little red bit that you saw at the corner was the Manchester United football stadium. So I'm not a big football fan, but yeah, like it's very close. And by all means, it's season time now. Ronaldo played his first match. I could hear people scream for all the four goals. so it was excellent. I knew something good was happening. Nobody broke any windows afterwards, so I could surmise that Manchester had won. So it's good. If you're a football fan, definitely come.
0: Lovely. Um Apart from the fact that he supports Man United, I think otherwise he's a great guy.
1: Um... <laughs> so when I moved to Manchester, everybody told me to pick a team. Given that I'm very dispassionate Happy. to football, I just... Manchester City seemed to be winning, so I was like, may as well pick the best chance of me getting beaten up in a pod. <laughs> but, I don't know, maybe if Manchester City, like United picks up, I'll have a Manu like flag or whatever, like a shirt hanging by, by my door as well.
0: well see, I'm going to ask you um, the last question because I think it's time we wrap up. It's been a lovely discussion. Um, and I think the last question pretty much sums up the entire, um, entire conversation in a way. Uh, because we started by talking about why you decided to move and i think the the most important lessons are the ones that you wish you could tell yourself going back in the past so you know in in, in that um, in that vein of thought what would you tell yourself if you could go back in time to the time you migrated
1: get married um, no, <laughs> so, I think uh, life balance. I think that's one thing that's I, well, I still haven't learned given that we're doing this podcast on a Sunday um, and this is our version of fun. But I think it's very important to set clear goals when you start. Um, but if I could go back, I'd slap myself across the face and say, make time for yourself, make time for your family, ring them every day. Um, and I think that's essentially it and that's one thing that I've never mastered and it's one thing i would encourage most people to master that you'll get the job that you want eventually you'll you make the career that you want um but the loved ones that you have back home your family lots of things happen and lots of things change so just make sure you make time for them and also another thing that if I went back and I um I would tell myself is not being as vain as I was when I moved. I just wanted everything. I was like big city life, big dream, buy fancy things, be really poor. I think it's also really important to be financially wise and sane. Um, I've learned this very recently when a friend of mine has an endo bought a house and I can't buy a can of Coke without thinking about it anymore because I've spent so much money. So um, yeah, so just be financially wise. I think that's also something I would tell myself if I could ever go back. That being said, also
0: enjoy your life. So I'd love my life too. Uh, if I were to answer that question, much like, um, I don't know if anyone's seen the uh, movie series Back to the Future, but I think I would probably tell myself to buy some Bitcoin because at this, <laughs> you know, at this point in time, I'd be multi-millionaire. Uh, <laughs> Moji, um, I will see you soon when I come to Manchester. And um, it's, it's been a lot of fun doing this with you on a Sunday afternoon. Um, I actually mean that. I'm, I'm not kidding. It's, it's been uh, it's been great reliving um, well your journey for today, but uh, some other day we'll probably get you to reverse roles and and we'll talk about a few other stories.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think what I'm trying to do is like take out all the horror stories because we don't want to scare people.
0: No, no. I think I think it's very important to focus on the good things because. You will always have people focusing on the bad things. And uh, I think there's not enough good stories. Um, but I mean, The
1: reason you're here is I'm pretty sure there were lots of bad things that were happening back then. Of
0: course, yeah. adversity, so, adversity shapes you.
1: Yeah, we'll never live a perfect life. I mean, that, that is what it is. But you have a pretty good, you have an amazing wife. Um, hopefully this, this comment will make up for all the crap I've been saying over the years. <laughs> I have an amazing kid, um, Adam, um, who I haven't, i confess, spent enough time with. So there are amazing things and good things that happen as well. And just keep positive. That's the advice I'll give everyone. And be good to like people like your HCA's at work, the people at, who make you coffee, the people in the cafeteria, learn their names.
0: That's, that's absolutely correct. And yes, as you as said, we do, we do have a back. So um, we're always available. Uh, and as I'm sure most of the people in the massive, massive Facebook group, are, it's, it's a great source of help and support for IMGs. Um, I'm going to end this there, um, and uh, just to say that this wasn't just me talking to Muji about his experience, but actually I, I'm going to get him to help me um, record a few episodes, and we'll probably be co-hosting and and um, trying to um, trying to ask people about their stories, um, all obviously socially acceptable on the podcast, of course. Um, talk to you later, Muji.
1: See you later, buddy
0: bye